Welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. Today we're going to talk about ways to stop tolerating abuse. Abuse you may not even have recognized that is happening now or that happened earlier in your life. Maybe you'll hear something today that you really need to hear. It's my hope that you will. You're not alone. It's not your fault. You are not to blame. And I'll help you use that redirected energy to recover and to rediscover you, your values, your dreams, your desires, and then realize them in healthy ways and in healthy relationships at home and at work. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and this is episode 25. So I'm so glad you're here, and if you've been listening to everyone, I'm delighted that you're finding value here and enough to keep coming back. If this is your first show with me, I hope that you will listen to the end, find out all about the different things that are offered in the different segments, and become a repeat listener. I'm here to help you understand what's going on when you are with or you have left, or you're thinking of leaving, or you were raised by, or you work with, or you have a friend who is relentlessly difficult, disturbing, toxic, difficult. And that's what this show is dedicated to. I coined a non-clinical term for them because I don't think it's helpful to anybody for you to be going off diagnosing whether you're with a narcissist or a psychopath or a borderline or whatever. That's not what you do in the world. What you need to know is that they behave like a hijackle. They have the traits, the patterns, and the cycles that I talk about in my books and my work, my blog, my YouTube channel. So today's show, we're going to talk about conflict and the tough conversations that we have to have in our homes and at work. And uh, my guest today is Charmaine Hammond of HammondGroup.biz. She is amazing at conflict management. Like me, she's a professional mediator, and she's done an enormous amount of work in organizations. So we're going to talk a lot about what to do when you're in a group, which is any organization, and when the conflict shows up, and when the conflict shows up and can be handled, how to handle it, and how to know when the conflict can't be handled, because you have to be smart about that too. There are some people who will not make agreements, and we have to know about that. In another segment, I'm going to talk about a topic that I think is important related to what Charmaine is going to introduce, which is I believe that um, unresolved conflict is really organizational bloodletting. And you can certainly translate that into unresolved conflict is relational bloodletting. Because any time that you don't acknowledge what's going on and give it a name and have a plan to work towards it, you are damaging the relationship. And you may be having many of those things that you've put under the rug or shoved in a closet and hope are not going to raise their ugly head again, but they will. They don't go away of their own accord and you do have to resolve these things. And then in the last segment of today, I'm introducing a new segment 
And I'm going to intersperse this new segment with a Q&A. So some programs will have a Q&A. Sometimes we will have the new segment and it's called It Happened to Me. Now, why do I believe it's important to introduce It Happened to Me as a segment? Because you might think you're alone and you are not. Things have happened to many people. And you may be thinking, my story is unique. It never, ever can be shared. It's unlikely. I'm sorry it happened to you. I'm sorry it happened to me. But it did happen. And we need to know what happened and how people resolved it. So this new segment, It Happened to Me, will be something that will happen a couple of times a month. So a big show for you today, hijackles, conflict, and tough conversations at home and at work. I'm so glad you're here. Tune in regularly. Love to have you in this space with me. Listen to the archives at iTunes. You can download it at any time or listen at bbsradio.com slash relationship help show. If you need help right away, come to my website for relationship help. Let's talk soon. Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? I'm so glad. You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting, and dismissive masquerade that a hijackal pretends is love. I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent, or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Conflict in the workplace. It's a big deal. It really is. And unresolved conflict in the workplace is really like organizational bloodletting <laughs> because it's like a, it's like that because there's immediate pain there's a big mess then there's a slow draining while no one does anything or worse yet they sit around and silently watch it happen and the results can be fatal slow seeping losses can't be ignored and on the job or in the family they can really be deadly. So we have to wake up and stop the bleeding. And whether you're with a hijackal or with a person who's just going through a difficult time or a person who's difficult about certain situations at work, you really have to think about this. And so let's just think about it from the point of view of that ancient practice of bloodletting. Um, we might think it has no no application in this wonderful world that we live in, but it did. My father's sister was only six months old in 1922 when a prairie doctor in Canada decided that her fever would go away if she lost some blood. That's not so long ago. You know, I guess it is getting to be long ago. It's a hundred years ago. But I never knew my aunt. She died that day. The blood winning went on too late, too long, and no one stepped in to stop the flow. 
And that's what got me thinking about organizational conflict or conflict in the home, too, of course. And yeah, it's graphic, um, but we do need to pay attention. We're often too complacent for too long. And profits drop, anger flares, productivity declines, we're not getting along, we avoid each other when conflict is not addressed. And I remember my colleague Dan Dana wrote in a book, Conflict Resolution, uh, about 20 years ago, he wrote, research studies show that up to 42% of an employee's time is spent engaging in or attempting to resolve conflict. Now that's some serious bleeding. Can you afford to have 42% of your time or your payroll dollars being drained in that way? More importantly, can you allow your own time or energy or creativity or passion to be drained in that way? That's a major energy leak. Think about it. You get up on a Monday morning looking forward to a great week. And as you're driving into work, you remember that last week, your coworker managed to take the credit for the work the two of you did together. Whoops, big energy leak. Then you remember the look the coworker gave you across the table as she spoke of her success. The look said, don't make a scene. Let me have this one. Another big energy leak. You notice the feelings, the anger, the betrayal, the shock, the unfairness, and it ran through your whole body. Another energy leak. And then you begin to dread seeing her in 20 minutes. Yet another energy leak. Does this sound familiar? Sure, things happen at work. Ambition leaps over integrity. It's not pretty. And it needs to be addressed. Think back to Donald Trump's reality show, The Apprentice. Shows beginnings of cracks in the integrity shield. In the beginning, all the players were focused on their team winning. As the show progressed, it comes down to having only one person winning. So big questions show up, just as they do in the workplace. Will ambition leap over integrity? Will the dogs eat the dogs until only one remains alive? This supposed insight, I guess, into the workings of big business, old though the program is, can't translate well into day-to-day -day operations of the average home or organization. On the whole, people have to learn to play nicely together at work. The question is, who's teaching them? When I go into an organization where folks are at each other's throats, it's often very late in the game. Someone's screaming at me, fix this mess. And that usually means fix the other guy or make my life easier. And the energy leaks have turned into a flood. No one can pay attention to the work because they're being swept up by the current tidal wave of energy leaks. There's anxiety, there's anger, there's irritability, there's fear. The organization and the department is bleeding to death. And you need a tourniquet immediately. A strategy for removing unnecessary sharp objects from the workplace. So what is that tourniquet? Me, call in an outside expert, they figure. So by the time conflict has escalated to severe blood loss, you do need expert help. It's a 911 business call. Save the employee, save the company, do it now. Same thing happens at home. Save the marriage, save the home, save the peace. A manager or the CEO is too invested in an immediate fix to understand the patient's pain or diagnose the situation or negotiate a remedy. 
They're too close to the blood. They want to sew them up and get them back on the front lines, a kind of surgical solution. That's a short-term gain leading to long-term pain. An outside expert like myself can apply a tourniquet and stop the blood flow. And it's important to be out of the feelings mix that complicate inside help. That's why you need someone from the outside. And that puts me or someone that you hire into a better position to see all sides of the issue, mediate the issue, and ensure a solution that will be more focused on overall health and wellness of the company or the marriage or whatever. And that is the focus of the expert's work. She's not trying to run a company, meet deadlines, oversee operations, and mediate a conflict. So what's the remedy? Certainly, a tourniquet is a quick fix, but that's not all that's needed. According to Webster, a remedy is something that corrects or counteracts a disease or condition. That's where the really progressive, successful organizations shine. Because workplace conflict, as I said at the beginning, can have very high cost. There's a huge increase in employment lawsuits. In the mix of wrongful termination, discrimination, and sexual harassment, and all the little slights and disputes and squabbles and power struggles leading up to them, you have a recipe for low morale, increased absenteeism, and downturn productivity. Then add the tendency of people to rush to court. Your workplace then is filled with fear and the courts are teeming with litigation. Talk about a major energy leak. So the damage is done, the tourniquet's in place, the pressure's off. This is a dangerous stage because you might drift off into unconsciousness. You think the problem has been abated and you turn your attention to other urgent things. But wake up! The problem is still there. The wound is still seeping. No healing is taking place. Wherever people work together, conflict arises. Proactive conflict management and communication training is the preventable solution. That's simple. If your organization is thinking that such training is a waste of time or money, think about that early statistic. 42% of an employee's time spent, or wasted if you like, engaging in and attempting to resolve conflict. Can you possibly afford not to train your people? Of course not. And the sooner the better. Be proactive. Train all your people at once. Although it's the best solution as it creates a level playing field of of skill development and it provides structured opportunities to discuss the issues, it's not always possible to shut down your operation. So if that's true, train them all within a very short period of time. Don't leave anyone at a disadvantage because of lack of training, and that includes all of your top people. Bill Gates said that education is the best preparation for being able to adapt So educate yourself, educate your people, educate your relationships, because you don't have 42% of the expertise, the experience, the energy, the time, and the creativity to lose every day. So that's why unresolved conflict can be bloodletting, and I hope that you will not engage in it. For more information, go to forrelationshiphelp.com. This is Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. Talk soon. Life as a couple can be exciting and enriching. You both feel supported, known, heard, and appreciated. You know you're safe. Is that what you're experiencing? 
Does your partner have your back? Can you be vulnerable safely? Do you trust each other fully? Would you say you were emotionally intimate? If not, things can get much better. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I work with couples just like you all over the world by video conferencing. If you want a world-class relationship, learn how now. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join and schedule a time to work together. Let's talk soon. forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Hi, I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and I'm so glad you're here with us for this part of the Relationship Help Show. I have so many great guests, but today I'm really excited to be working with not only a guest, but a colleague. And we're back from the homeland together because, you know, I'm Canadian and I live in San Diego. And my guest, Charmaine Hammond, lives in both places. She's still Canadian, but she joins us here in San Diego for part of every year. So I'm so excited to have you with us, Charmaine. Thank you. Me too. And I'm really pleased not to be in the snow right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. That That's why I live here. Strangely me too. <laughs> People often say to me, why did you move to San Diego? My simple answer is, did you notice it's warm here? Yes, and yeah. snow, exactly. <laughs> and no rain. So let me tell everybody a little bit about why I'm so excited to have you here, Charmaine, because I know you're such an expert in communication and conflict management and conflict resolution and collaboration. And when we're dealing with the difficult, the disturbing, and the toxic people in our lives, we really need to have a lot of skills in our toolbox. We really need to do that. And I know that you've been a mediator as I am, and you continue to do that kind of work to help people play nicely together at work. That was the, my tagline for it when I did that. Um, I know you do a lot of professional speaking, and you've written some great books, especially about your dog, Toby. And you, you're you focused on something that's interesting and often missing in the workplace, which is kindness. And and that's a big deal. It's often missing in our lives in general with other people. And one of the ways that we're not kind to is that we're not kind to ourselves sometimes. Mm, mm -hmm. We're constantly beating ourselves up. So that's a very important piece for us to consider. And so I'm just so happy to have you here so we can talk about what happens when you are dealing with somebody who doesn't really want to solve an issue. Mm -hmm. because sometimes we'll have a conversation, somebody will be pretend to be open to a conversation, <laughs> whether that's our partner or our parent or our ex or a coworker. Yes, sure, we can talk, but you can tell that they are just steeled for the event. They have yes. no real interest in making a change. Yes. What do you think is the most important thing for us to start with when we have that feeling that this person is just going through the motions. Oh, I love that question because we see that all the time. We see it in the workplace. We see it in our in our interpersonal relationships at home and in our community. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about conflict and communication is that every time we go into a situation, 
we're bringing past with us in some respect, whether it's old assumptions, emotions that haven't been worked through, and in some cases, old conflicts. So one of the things we want to do in these situations that you've described, Roberta, is we really want to check in you know, is this an assumption we're making that the person isn't interested in resolving the conflict? Is it past that's now clouding today? Um, is it something about me, perhaps? Maybe I'm not as willing to resolve the conflict as I think I am. And the number one way to get around that is to ask a lot of questions. Questions are a great way to actually break down assumptions and figure out what is going on. And I think as humans, what we often do, and I know I've done this myself, is we get the thought that something's not right, this person doesn't want to participate in a conversation, and we believe that that assumption is true, then we act on that assumption, and it may be entirely off base, and now we've just created another sort of ugly conversation that we have to manage. So asking questions and getting rid of assumptions is a really great place to start. Yeah, I love that, Charmaine. And one of the reasons I love that is because when we read another person, we're reading them from our experience, not their experience. Yes. So we look at them and we go, oh, well, there are people in my life who look like that, and that, therefore it means this. And we do make those assumptions about them. And also, from when we were children, we read things from a different context, and often we haven't refreshed that view of the world. Yes, we're just still relying on that, particularly in a difficult conversation where we have some fear, you know, like, yeah. is this going to go anywhere? Are we going to be able to exactly. resolve this? And so we go back to those kind of childhood assumptions and emotions. So it's a great idea to ask questions. And sometimes people are resistant to questions. So what yes. insights could you have for the way those questions are asked? That's, that is so on target, Roberta, because I, I hear that all the time. People say, I'm asking lots of questions and I'm not getting anywhere. And when I say, what questions are you asking? What back to me are questions that start with, did you, could you, would you, should have, should you have? And those are all close-ended questions. We can answer those with a yes or a no. There's no depth. There's no curiosity, no exploration of the person's judgments, values, opinions, and perspective. What we want to do is actually change the type of questioning we do, that we use, sorry, and we want to use open questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. Those elicit a participation from the other person. They tend to be a little, um, they don't feel accusatory or mm -hmm. um, yeah. like an interrogation. And it allows people to express um, their perspective in a way that we can and now I do want to put a caution out there. The question why, why did you do something? Yeah. Um, why did you do it that way? <laughs> the question why can come across as highly accusational, um, especially when there's tone involved. Now you can say, wow, I'm so curious why you did it that yes. way. Yeah. And that would sound okay. However, if you said, why'd you do it that way? <laughs> we get into this, you know, this, uh, a, a pushback conversation. So open questions will really further the dialogue, but I would really caution using why. I actually use how instead of why. I think that's such a great thing to put out there, Charmaine, because going back to the childhood, every child was asked, why did you do that? Exactly. And they don't have an answer. It seemed yeah. like a good idea at the time. That's right. what I thought to do. <laughs> 
I don't have a good answer. And so when someone starts asking us why questions as an adult and there's any fear involved or uncertainty, we immediately feel like we've gone back to the wall and are that child like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't yeah. know, I don't have an answer. Yeah. So, and I also like the point that you made about accusatory things because when when you ask someone in a way that has inherent blame in it, mm then the other person already feels pushed back. Yes. And then they're not coming forward. And the whole point of having the conversation is that we would come closer together and be able to lean into the conversation. So, you know, sometimes now we get started and we ask some good questions and maybe we're opening the conversation. So we might say something like, you said, I'm really curious about this. And I'm also really interested in my belief that we can resolve this. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. when we can be inclusive in the conversation, as opposed to you and me or we and them, that inclusive nature, what have you found about that? Oh, that's critical. And language becomes so important in communication and conflict resolution. People have a tendency um, to sort of say what's on their mind without filtering it and and um, really describing what the question is. So we off it's so clear to us in our head. But as you said earlier, we have our experience wrapped around that. We have our emotions and our understanding of the other person's situation. So we have to really, really communicate clearly and also be aware of the different filters that we're filtering a person's communication through. I, I wanted to address something too that you were, when you were talking about the, um, the questions, there's also this tendency for us to ask these leading questions. And I know parents often find themselves in this and we also find ourselves in the same trap in the workplace where we might say something like, don't you think that if you, <laughs> which really means my answer is right, and I'm going to try and convince you that it is. So we also have to be full of leading questions that are taking somebody to buy to your perspective because there's high emotion. If there's a history between the people, that will come across as so abrasive and it, it will just create that resistance. And the comment you made, that, that inclusiveness, getting that buy-in from the people, that is so powerful at the beginning of a conversation because if you think about it, that's perhaps the first agreement that you made together. Are you willing to have this conversation with me? Yes. Perfect. We have an agreement. And in mediation, years ago when I was a mediator, and I know you can relate to this, uh, those little mini agreements that get made form a lot of trust and momentum as the conversation continues. So they're important and it makes person that you're that you're talking to feel that this is really us against the problem instead of us against each other. Oh, love that because that's the, <laughs> that's the important thing. You know, when I'm working with my couples, which I have clients all over the world that I work with, and, you know, I'm known as the relationship help doctor mm-hmm. providing urgent and ongoing care to relationships in crisis. <laughs> so what I, I tell them is, how about this? Imagine that you don't put the problem between you so that you're fighting about it like dogs with a bone. Imagine that you're putting it on the wall and you sit down together and hold hands and you say, there's our problem over there. What shall we do about it? Yes. And that whole change in attitude and change in positioning 
makes a huge difference because the relationship owns the problem and we have the power to create that relationship in whatever form we want. Mm -hmm. that, the, the way that you said, you know, here we are and the problem is over there. I remember when that became so clear for me, I was a brand new mediator. This is going back many, many years. And I was dealing with a very, very complex family situation. And um, the parents and the two teenagers couldn't see eye to eye on anything. And I had tried a number of strategies to get them to work together and just hear one another. And I went out of the room to get a cup of coffee. And when I had come back, they had sort of changed seats which was an amazing blessing in disguise. And I, I could feel the energy shift, but I hadn't clued into what was going on. And then I stood up to, to write on my flip chart, thinking that I would draw the attention to the problem instead of to all of them. And all four of them were sort of sitting in a half circle. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's it. It's the four of them sitting in, the, they actually positioned their chairs to be all looking sort of at the flip chart, which represented the problem. And mm -hmm. the level of anxiety and frustration in the room just de decreased so much. And so I actually changed, after that day, I changed the setup in my office to be able to facilitate that kind of a conversation just through the way the furniture was, was placed. Yeah, a great idea. And of course, our clients teach us all the time. <laughs> so do they ever? <laughs> there's an example for that. But um, what do you do when a conversation gets polarized? You mm. know, when you can't get that inclusiveness, when you can't say, we own the problem, mm. when it's, it's your fault, and you never, and you always, and I am fed up and tired with you, and all of that, which brings as to the the hijackle situation when the hijackle is all is the one who always has to be right and you always have to be wrong and mm -hmm. at fault what can somebody do outside of a, of a professional's office when the conversation is constantly polarized like that yeah we see that a lot and I, it brings me back to a just an example jumped into my head it was a workplace that i was called not in as a mediator i was actually called in to do some team building training and the particular leader uh, was presenting that way where everything was someone else's fault um lots of blame and um not engaging people and people that you can imagine the trust was low there was actually fear i think on people's part to to resolve the conversation and so as this leader continued to project blame one of the things that i found was really helpful and and there's a common tendency as somebody projects blame we either push back or we retreat is mm -hmm. what we see and neither help the situation so what i did with this particular individual was ask them to deepen the level of their answers so when they would say nobody does that i would use an open question who do you mean by nobody ah yes and it's never ever nobody <laughs> there's somebody who's doing something right and and or everybody always you know always never all these questions are powerful because they assign such blame so if you can get people to deepen their answer and really resist that urge to push back and we do that by i call it the three second rule my mom talked when I was little, <laughs> that when you have that urge to just blurt and say something in your cat in your head, just count one, two, three, and then speak. And just those three seconds 
of not quickly retaliating with an answer can actually shape what comes out of your mouth. And it can be sort of a calming effect on the other person. So that's one thing is to deepen the answer so that you're understanding their perspective, not necessarily jumping in to defend yourself, because often what a person presents as the issue is actually not the issue at all. And so we want to deepen the conversation. If it continues, you know, I'll say, Roberta, that there's lots of times where a person's behavior may continue to the level where someone is feeling threatened. Mm -hmm. They feel that they are um, either emotionally unsafe in the conversation or potentially physically unsafe. And I think at that point, um, we may need to look at halting the conversation. Yeah, let's talk about safety mm-hmm. in our second segment, because that's Great. a big, big word. Yeah. My guest today is Charmaine Hammond. You can find her at hammondgroup.biz. And you want to look at her books. You want to see all the wonderful things she had, because all this wisdom that she's bringing to us came from a long career in handling conflict and increasing and improving communication. So you'll find us at for relationshiphelp.com, much more information, relationshiphelpshow.com, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never-ending, an endless cycle of crazy-making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackles and Hijackle Recovery and Rediscovery, will shortcut your journey to healing, to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now and let's talk soon. So we're back, and I'm with my guest, Charmaine Hammond of HammondGroup.biz. She's been an, a mediator, a team builder, a, a collaboration teacher, and a conflict management specialist. So we were talking about um, polarized conversations, what mm. to do when it gets too polarized. And you brought up the point that's so important, Charmaine, which is safety. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's petrifying for many yeah. people because they won't enter into a conversation because they inherently don't feel safe. What can we do aside from what we talked about in part one of asking open-ended questions so we're not getting Mm -hmm. the finger pointed Mm -hmm. at us, but what can we do to increase the safety of difficult conversations? Yeah, I think if we're the person leading the conversation, um, really be careful about the timing and the place that you choose to have a meeting. Um, I've actually had clients who have phoned me later to say, oh, I was so uncomfortable with the meeting that my colleague called me to. It was at the end of the hallway. No one ever goes there. And I said, you know, you can always choose an alternate meeting space. If it feels uncomfortable, you can simply say, oh, may I inquire why we're meeting in this room? And Mm -hmm. listen to the person's answer. And if they were to say something like it allows us more privacy or there's not as much walk by traffic, you could simply say this, this room actually doesn't feel comfortable to me. And I'd like for us to pick another room. I love that. I want to interject right there because recognizing you have the right to do that. 
Yes. That's a big deal because when we're feeling fearful and we're feeling uncertain and we're concerned we're going to be picked on, (laughs) sometimes we don't have the presence of mind to believe that I can be assertive. Mm -hmm. And my definition of assertive, which comes from my personal weather report, is that we have the right to say what we think, feel, need, and want in any moment as long as we do not use the word you. So if I'm only talking about what's going on inside myself, my personal weather mm-hmm. report, then I have the right to say that in all circumstances. So I'm so glad you brought that up. What else can we do to create safety? I, I, another thing is that we want to prepare. Um, a lot of times we have conversations that matter most and we've not done preparation. Now, being awake at 2.30 in the morning is not preparing. That's worrying. <laughs> So we want to prepare because what what happens is you brought up that confidence and assertiveness. Um, When we prepare and we actually practice what we need to say to the other person in advance, and I suggest, it, it might sound crazy, I suggest to people get a piece of paper, a Sharpie marker, not a pen, but a Sharpie marker, and write down point forms or bullet notes of what you want to convey to the other person. And the reason we write them down in bullet points is because your brain can remember that easier than full sentences. And then you take that piece of paper and go into the bathroom or the bedroom (laughs) or the office where there's a mirror. That's what I'm getting at. I've done, I've practiced my own conversations in the rear view mirror of my car before going into a meeting. But you want to actually practice your part of the conversation, not the response to what you think that person's gonna say, just your part of the conversation, and practice it at least 10 times. Because if in the real conversation you have what's called brain freeze, it's where you can't remember what the heck you wanted to say, (laughs) the fact that you practiced it, your brain will kind of say, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to say. But the key is it comes out without drama, without emotion, and without anxiety because you've practiced it and it's become comfortable. So if sensitive or even difficult conversations, practice is key. And the other thing you want to practice is the the statement that you're going to use if you don't feel safe or comfortable. So that that Mm, comes across also very clearly to the person. So it might be something like, "I, I just need to interject here. I need to let you know that this is not feeling comfortable for me. I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling that my perspective is not being heard. And it's like what you said, Roberta, we're focusing on I, not you, not you're making me feel this way. Exactly. And, but practicing that out statement is very important. Well, I so agree. And one of the reasons that I created the personal weather report was as a reaction to so many years of training people to use iMessages and I always had a visceral reaction to there's something really wrong with an iMessage because for those people who don't know what it is, it's a formula that says, I feel this way when you do that. And all of a sudden we've got inherent blame every time. (laughs) So part of what arose for me in that situation was how can I help people understand what to say about what's going on within them that is not saying, and you caused it. So that's important. I love that practice. Mm -hmm. So you're getting yourself safe within yourself. You're doing what you can. Um, But there may be people on the line now listening, uh, watching too, who are saying, yeah, but what about the hijackal? I already know the hijackal is there going, no, 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 it's Mm -hmm. you, it's you, it's you. And I can practice all I want, which is a really good thing to do even with Mm -hmm. the hijackal. 
but I also need a strategy to be able to go beyond the I'm I'm not feeling heard right now right. or I feel discounted in this moment mm-hmm. um, to get the conversation a little bit more open because it seems with hijackles we have to pry the conversation a little more open by by maybe yes. just maybe a quarter of an inch further each yes. time. Yeah. We don't get the massive growth. What do you say about that? You know, one of the one of the powerful tools is the use of reframing or the use of um, uh, paraphrasing. But I want to talk about reframing for a minute. A lot of times these personality traits will come across from the perspective of saying everything they don't want. I don't want you doing this anymore. I don't want to hear this from you anymore. And it's everything you don't want. And one of my trainers, my mentors, um, early, early on in my mediation career, John Haynes, who was a family mediator for many, many years, he had a great question that has helped me so many times in in these situations. And what he said was instead of telling me what you don't want, help me understand what you do want. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's getting the person, when, when we talk about what we do want, we're actually coming from a place of our values mm-hmm. or our priorities, our underlying interests. And that can help in some cases. But like you said, it's just these little tiny steps. Now, there are cases where this conversation might be going sideways. You know, you're feeling like this is a train wreck coming on. <laughs> and that might be a time where you need to disengage the conversation. You know, this, this I mean that this conversation is feeling one-sided. My perspective, uh, I'm not getting my perspective out as clearly as I would like to. And I'd like for us to take a break and come back at this. Um, I've also had people who have said, I would like a support to be in the room with me. And so there are, and that can go many different ways, but in workplaces I have seen that where somebody is feeling quite threatened and they've asked for either an advocate or a trusted um, colleague that both Mm -hmm. people are comfortable having in the room, obviously. And there's things that you need to address like confidentiality and all of that. But, um, I've seen cases when it's really going sideways and you've got the hijackle that you've talked about. Sometimes we actually need that support person in the room. Yeah. And we need that support person, not only for support, but for that extra pair of ears. Ears, exactly. Because, <laughs> because the, the hijackle, you know, we, we see this all the time right mm-hmm. now because it's so um, prevalent in the United States at the moment, mm-hmm. um, is somebody says something, somebody in a high place says something. The next day, the person says the opposite. And when confronted with what they said yesterday, they said, I never said that. You misheard. Right. Well, <laughs> this is a hijackle tactic of the highest order and really prevalent in what they're going to do. Yeah. And so we have that extra pair of ears by having somebody there, which is why people come to people like you or I. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Um, and I would just want to say this because it's important here. Many people will go if they're in a relationship with a hijackle, a primary relationship, either their partner or their parent, uh, what I mean by by a a primary relationship and they will they will go to professionals Mm -hmm. who are not familiar 
with this mm-hmm. demographic who are not mm-hmm. familiar with hijackals and the traits of hijackals and everything. So they will go to a professional for help, but the professional doesn't realize that a hijackal is going to seduce, manipulate, and exploit the professional yes. over to their side yes. and then make a two for a two against one situation. Mm-hmm. What could you say about guarding against that happening if you if you have someone in the room, I can, you know, we know what happens then. What if you don't? Yeah, that's really important. And if you're getting help, you really want to do your due diligence and ask that professional a lot of questions. For example, um, if the conversation was to go sideways, how could I expect you might get it back on track? Like you can ask those questions. I loved it when I was a mediator and people would interview me in a sense <laughs> um, because we did what's called pre-mediations where with each party separately and I mean often with an experienced professional so Roberta you and I could very quickly and easily um, point out these potential personality traits that uh, we would strategize and prepare for very differently than we would with a mediation or conflict conversation that people are emotional but nobody is at that level that you're talking about. So I think it's really important to do your due diligence and really interview that person first. Um, If it's somebody in the workplace, um, so if it's not an outside professional that is going to be that support, it's somebody in the workplace, you really want to, again, have that conversation ahead of time with that person and explain your concerns or fears so that person understands um, what may be causing you some resistance. And to also um, inquire how they might address the other person, because you're absolutely right. The hijackal can sort of bring that professional over into their side of the table very smoothly. (laughs) And then the person is feeling um, harmed in the process. Yeah, they are. And they're definitely rewounded because Mm -hmm. that's what's been going on at home all the time. Exactly. And now there they are in your office and they're looking to you like, see this, figure this out, say Mm -hmm. something, help. And if a person isn't really experienced, they won't be able to handle that. So I love the idea of of an individual interview. Mm -hmm. So much to talk about, Charmaine. (laughs) (laughs) So much. And that's why I have my guests back again. So don't worry. My guest, Charmaine Hammond, will be back and we will talk about new things again and again. And she has a free gift for you. Go to raiseadream.com. Don't you love that? Raiseadream.com. And um, you'll find her free gift there. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. This is the Relationship Help Show. Remember, you can go to relationshiphelpshow.com for the archives or to bbsradio.com if you prefer to listen there. Uh, You want more information about what I'm up to in the world and what my guests are up to, always go to forrelationshiphelp.com. And if you think you might have a hijackle in your life, after all we've said, get my free booklet, How to Spot a Hijackle at hijackles.com and you spell that hijack ALS.com. Talk soon. No matter what's happening right now, life can get better. If you have a good relationship, it can become great. If your relationship is in trouble, we can find a solution. The good news is that it's in your hands to start. 
The not-so-good news is that it takes time, new insights and skills, and a whole bunch of willingness. But who would settle for less? Not you, right? Good. You want to feel seen, heard, known, accepted, and appreciated. You want honesty, safety, trust, respect, and reliability, too. Read my book, Kaizen for Couples, available for download at couplesbook.com. Start there, and let's talk soon. It happened to me. This is a new feature for the Relationship Help Show. And every now and again, we're going to intersperse stories, people's stories about how they had incidents or were raised by or ran into or were run over by hijackals. And um, I'm going to start this whole segment uh, as the beginning and launching of this segment uh, by telling you my story. And I'm Dr. Roberta Scheller, the Relationship Help Doctor. And the reason that I do the work that I do, the reason that I even created the non-clinical term hijackles, is because I had that in my life. And I had these parents who were just doing the best they could, as all parents do. And, and I really mean that. If parents knew better, they would do better but they didn't sometimes. Mine certainly didn't. Perhaps people have chemical imbalances. Perhaps people have been terribly badly abused themselves. Um, things happen. So this is not about blame. It's about finding out what happened to you, how you internalized it, and how it's affecting your life right now. Not about those terrible people that were in your past, but it is about the messages they gave you about you. And you need to understand that. So when I was young, I was and am an only child, although my parents have passed. And so that's kind of double duty and double jeopardy because you've got two adults who are both focused on you. And if they happen to be in a dysfunctional relationship, as my parents certainly were, um, they don't look at each other because they don't want to. So the child gets all the focus. And so that was the case, except there was a little wrinkle. My dad didn't care for my mother as a person to spend time with. And I can understand that because I didn't either. But apparently, before she had electroshock therapy, she was fabulous. And she had that electroshock therapy when I was two years old. So I didn't know fabulous. I only knew this creature that came back after being away for two years, who was harsh and mean and judgmental and picky and competitive and fierce and unpredictable. And when you're two years old, and you just want to go running to somebody with a big smile and your, and your arms open that you're supposed to call mom, um, and she kind of looks at you like, oh, what's this? You don't understand. So I certainly didn't understand. And uh, it was very difficult for her because here I was three and a half, four years old, and she hadn't spent any time with me in the past uh, 18 to 25 months. I can't remember how long it was because I was two. But anyway, she came back. My father didn't recognize her. He told me that when I was an adult. He said, I didn't know who she was. She wasn't anything like she had been, nothing like the woman that I married. And 
I know that the story went that she didn't want children at all. And, you know, I understand that. Her mother died in childbirth. And, you know, she was reluctant. Now, being my mom, uh, she would never admit that. But, you know, that's that's a likely thing. I can't say, of course, for certain if that happened, but that's a very likely thing. And she was afraid. So she was in labor with me, a child that she didn't want, but she felt she had to have because my father and godparents really were pushing her to have a baby. And she was in labor for, with me for seven days. And so she was not very happy with me in that process. <laughs> and then she ended up having a complete nervous breakdown and going away and having electroshock therapy. So my story is about somebody who I got to know when I was three and a half or four years old and somebody I was afraid of. But not being a very fearful child, I would stand up to her. So, oh, my goodness, a hijackal doesn't like that. And now remember my definition of a hijackal. This is a person who has to hijack the relationship for their own purposes, for their own goodies, for the, to meet their own needs, and then relentlessly scavenge it for power, status, and control. That doesn't matter whether it's a child or an adult or whomever it is. The hijackal is going to do that to the person, one person usually, for sure, and then maybe others, or one person and then move on to another. And that's what happens in when you get married several times. So a hijackal, like my mom, she didn't choose to be a hijackal. She became a hijackal from a process that happened to her. But most hijackals don't choose to be hijackals either. It's what happened to them in their early life. You know, it's something that happened in their brain chemistry, something that happened in the home that they were they were in and the way they were treated and what they saw and how they learned to survive. So we have to have compassion for the fact that these people didn't set out to be this way and forgive them for for that. I mean, it's not about blame. If you go to a therapist and they set you down and they want to talk about how much your parents were to blame, don't don't sit there for that. One or two times, yes, understand that it came from home and here's how mom and dad behaved. Here's the kind of people that they were. But don't sit there blaming. Tell the story. Don't tell it again because every time you tell it, it re-wounds you on the cellular level. And so it affects you. Now, some people are like me. I was pretty strong child, pretty strong in being able to say, no, that's wrong. No, I won't do that. No, I don't like you <laughs> being pretty strong. But other children are much more passive because there may have been physical abuse involved. Now, I was sexually abused uh, by my father, by his friends, by some other people. And my mother, of course, did nothing. Um, so there was some of that involved. But that wasn't about fear of my mother. My mother was the hijackal. And so how did that affect me? Well, it affects you in lots of ways. And back then, you know, I have grandchildren, so therapy and things were not the same as they are now. We didn't know the things that we know now. There wasn't a book you could turn to, like the books I've written or blogs or things like that. So you don't really understand how it's affecting you. But it's creeping into every area of your life. And it's just your reality. It's just what you think is so. So it's very important, as it was for me, to figure it all out. I figured it out so that it would help my life, but I figured it out because nobody else was figuring it out and helping people so that I could help other people too. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. 
A hijacker will always make you feel less than because they have to feel more than. They have to be winning. And it's really hard to believe anybody can really love you when you've been raised by a hijackal. It is really a situation where you don't trust anyone, even though you really want to, because that got right into your soul when you were little. You couldn't trust those giants to take care of you or love you. You may have trouble with intimacy. You almost never feel safe. I mean, these these are big things that happen. And you're always starved for approval that you can really believe and accept. So, you know, my story is not different than many, many people's, many other people's is much worse. But I just wanted to start this segment. It happened to me. What I did with it was turn my life around and find out how to help you turn your life around. If you think you're with a hijackal, go to hijackals.com, download my free ebook, How to Spot a Hijackal. And let's talk soon because I am uniquely able to help you. I've been there, done that, have the video and the ugly t-shirt, and I was able to tuck them away, not make them who I am, and learn what it took. It was hard learning. I've done it, and I can help you do it too. So go and visit forrelationshiphelp.com if you're ready to get out from behind a childhood and a teenagehood and maybe a few other places in your life where you were treated poorly and maybe by a hijackal. Talk soon. I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins within you now, today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor, Roberta Shaler. I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. Learn more at forrelationshiphelp.com. Visit youtube.com slash forrelationshiphelp. And if you want to listen to the show's archives, visit RelationshipHelpShow.com. Join me for next week's show. I'll see you then. Talk soon.